Last week, we took a look at the beginning part of Jesus's resurrection. I'm resurrection, his prayer, getting ahead of the story. Um, Jesus's prayer, we took a look at the first two parts of that prayer, having to deal with himself and with his disciples. I wanted to split it into these parts because this part is personal. When you pray for something, other than when you feel obligated, you know, there are times we feel obligated to pray. Let's admit it. You know, somebody will say, I need prayer. And because whatever you are obligated to pray for them because they ask you to pray. And sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't, but we do. But oftentimes when we pray, it's because we have a felt need or some desire for God to do something. And so we come to him in prayer to ask. And so in this part of Jesus' prayer, it becomes fairly personal. So in chapter um, 17 of John, starting with verse 20, it says this. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. These alone is his 11 disciples at this point, plus those who are uh, with him. So I don't ask for these on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. So those that believe in him through their word are those of us who are believers. Because you came to faith either by reading the the Gospels or some uh, part of the Scriptures that elicited faith in you and you then believed, which was their writings, or some pastor's sermon who was talking about the Word of God, or some person that you knew, either family member or friend or even stranger, who witnessed to you And you came to faith, all of those of us who came to faith, we came to faith because of somebody else's testimony. We didn't see Jesus. Now, Paul was the exception. Paul became a believer based on Jesus's presentation of himself to him. But those of us, some almost 2,000 years later, we have come to faith based on the testimony and the word of those who came before So he's talking about you and me. Now, I find that exceptionally humbling. The God who sent his son to die on a cross for me and for you didn't just die on a cross for me and for you but prayed for you. It was that important in his last moments to pray for us. Now, I guess I'm a little more sensitive to this because um, in a very lesser degree, um, several decades ago, um, there was this thing called a gas crisis, and you had to wait out in the 2 and 3 a.m. morning in line to hope to buy gas so that you could go to work or do whatever it is you needed to do. And at the time, we were living in Riverside, so we were in a different county than, we, than I worked, 
and went to church. And so we made this decision that we needed to locate to an, another church closer to our residence. One of the churches that we attended uh, was a couple that were close in our age, and we really hit it off. I never quite felt that that was a church we were supposed to join, and later on, we didn't join any church because God intervened and we continued coming here. Uh, but um, they later became missionaries. Now, in our denomination, in all the Sunday school material and all the other materials, they'll send you a list of missionaries. And usually what it is is that list they have is the missionary's birthday. And so they ask for us to pray for these missionaries on their birthday. And so praying for a missionary is almost like, you know, one of the things that you're required to do as, as a Baptist is to pray for missionaries. And so the idea of praying for a missionary comes as standard Christian obligation. Well, we got a letter because this couple, instead of staying pastors, they went as missionaries to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And they sent us a letter talking about their new ministry and whatever, and said that they were praying for us. And that hit me. The person that I'm praying for is praying for me. And the God who came to save me, not only came to save me, but prayed for me. The God who in his name that I pray, prayed for you and me. Now I think that's mind-blowing. And if he prayed for you and me, it must have been important. And what he's asking must be important. And the funny thing is, is when you hear a lot of Christian sermons or read a lot of books, or commentaries, or listen to music. No one ever talks about, or rarely talks about, what he's now going to pray for, for you and me. What is it that he's praying for? That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus' request for you and me is for us to be one. Now, the problem is when you read various authors, whatever, they're always trying to convince us to be something other than what Jesus has taught us to be. So you'll hear people talk about organizations and, and how a church ought to work as a fine-tuned corporation or partnership or that we're all a part of a team you know because that's the reason the the more recent thing is you go to it, whether it's a restaurant or a store they're no longer sales associates they're team members because that's what we're all supposed to be we're all supposed to be a team so i want to show you the fallacy of that versus what jesus is talking about my favorite sport to watch because i'm too old to play it is football. In that, it's a team sport. 
there's an offense and a defense, so I'm going to talk about the offense because that's what sells the tickets nowadays. There are linemen, and I'm hesitant to call that linemen because that's misogynistic. So there are line people who are really big guys or girls, and they're, they're really big, and their job is to create spaces that we call holes or gaps so either a running back can run through to gain a bunch of yards and hopefully a touchdown. And they have their jobs to do. They may be supposed to block on that place, block the person in front of them or to their right or to their left. Or maybe they're supposed to pull and go block somebody else. Or maybe they're supposed to block instead of a lineman, they're supposed to block a, a linebacker. They have their job to do. Or maybe if the play is a pass, instead of creating that, their job is to protect the quarterback so that that person has enough time to throw the ball. The quarterback, if he's going to throw the ball, goes back according to whether he rolls right or rolls left or drops back. And then the various receivers are to have routes. And everybody has a particular route they're supposed to run. And if the play starts to break down, the quarterback will move. And then the receivers are supposed to do what they're supposed to do. And if they don't, you'll hear... Someone who's supposedly wise and commenting on it says they're not on the same page. And that's why the play broke down. Jesus isn't asking us to be on the same page. Jesus isn't asking us to block and tackle and do whatever. It's not about being on a team. It's about being him. It's about being one. And this is not the only place that the scriptures teach us to be one. In marriage, we're told that the two shall become one flesh. The problem with that is no one ever tells you what that one flesh is. And so the husband tries to be that one guy and the wife tries to be that one lady. And they fight back and forth about who's supposed to be the right one. And the answer is neither of you. You're supposed to be Jesus. And the world's supposed to see in our marriage the truth of the cross because Jesus is the head of the house as he is the head of the body. And so a better mechanism, if you will, is the scriptures tell us either to use plants like a vineyard and say that we are to abide in him or that we are a body. So, my body is one. I have a hand. Usually when you see me moving around, you're not saying, gee, that's Joe's hand moving around. You're either saying, well, why is he doing that? It's kind of it's bothering me. But you don't pay attention to the fact that it's just a hand. Now, in this hand is skin and tissue and muscles and tendons and ligaments Arteries and veins, all these things make up the hand. But all these things that make up the hand is the hand. And while it may anatomically say, well, my hand ends at my wrist, my hand's part of the body. I use it. I need it. As a matter of fact, it's so much a part that a lot of times I don't even think about what it is it's doing. It just does it 
because subconsciously or whatever, I'm telling it to do certain things. Like right now, I'm not thinking, well, move your hands. I just move my hands. I became much more Italian lately, okay? So I'm moving my hands without thinking about it because it's res- my hands are responding to what it is my mind is telling it to do, even though I may not be thinking because my hand is part of and is my body. And if you think that your parts of your body aren't important, stub your big toe. All of a sudden, your whole body starts, oh, and you, you know, and you yell out and do whatever. You might even curse. Shame on you. But you know, we we you know, so the the mind says certain things it shouldn't say, the mouth participates, we do everything we can because it hurts. And guess what? We make sure we don't bump into that thing again because it affected the body. Jesus is telling us that we are to be one, not we're to be an organization, not that we're going to be a mechanical machine, but we are to be one as he and the Father are one. Now that's kind of difficult to really understand because every time we try to explain it, we become heretics. Because as the scripture says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And yet we talk about the Son of God, who is God, and the Father, who is God, and the Holy Spirit, who is God. So we talked about three personalities, if you will, for one God. How do you explain that? I don't want to be heretic, so I'm not going to. But that's the idea. It's that we are to be one as he and the Father is one. And the problem is we don't do that well. Because notice it said that if we were to do that, the world may believe that you sent me. It wouldn't be so difficult to convince the world that Jesus is the Christ if we didn't actually participate and act as if Jesus was the Christ. So when we argue and complain and and backbite and do whatever, we're just convincing the, the world that they're right, we're wrong because we don't even believe it ourselves. So just as Jesus has told us that we are to love one another as he has loved us and given himself for us, that that will show that we are his disciples. We're also to bear fruit, much fruit, and that will tell the world that we are his disciples. And in this, we are prayed for that we would be one, not just like a body, if you will, but we are to be one as he and the Father are one. So, Using the body analogy, I move at his command. I move maybe even without the thought of his command because I am so in tune with my, the head that my body reacts in such a way. So the, the funny thing is, is we're always, you hear these people saying, what would Jesus do? And my argument is, why are you now thinking that? Just do what he does. 
as being one, we are to be as he is. God is love. So how do we demonstrate that we are one, that we love? How is it that we demonstrate that he is by producing much fruit? And the amazing thing is, is this is what Jesus is praying for, that we might be one, but not one in the sense of like me or like you or like whatever, but that we might be like the Trinity, like God himself. And yet very little thought is given to it, very little preaching is given to it, very little. I want you to understand, I'm pointing a finger at you. I fully understand that there are more than three fingers pointing back at me. As a matter of fact, you're probably pointing a finger at me. Well, if, if that's so important, why aren't you doing it? That's the awesome thing about how God has chosen corruptible men and women to preach his word. Because we all need to hear what he says. And there is never going to be a time though I will hopefully strive every day to be one as he is one. Because that's why I have to carry my cross daily, because I keep wanting to resurrect myself. That the world might believe that you sent me. Jesus' prayer request for you. And me. Verse 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Notice Jesus hasn't stopped here. He's continuing and he's saying, You've given me glory. And just as I have not decided to hold on to my right of being God, and I came down as a suffering servant, the glory that you've given me, I'm given to y'all. Jesus loves me, this I know. Not because the Bible tells me so, but his own words tell me so. His own words tell me, not only did he give himself for me, he's given all that he has for me. So that they may be one just as we are one. Not kind of like it, not a poor imitation, not a hypocritical pretense, but that they, that we might be one just like the Father and the Son. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me. Again, notice, he's saying, that we are also interrelated We're not just to be little Christ. And that's one of the reasons I tend to stay away from Christian is because we've abused that word. Because the meaning of Christian is to be little Christ. And most of us ain't. We're poor imitations. But he says, 
that we are to be in each other so that it be perfected in unity. Now, in all the commentaries, whatever, they talk about the emphasis of God asking for unity. It's not what he's asking for. He's saying that there is a perfecting process in unity, but he's praying for oneness, not unitedness. He's not asking for you and me to be united in a common cause. He's asking for you and me to be in him. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. And again, why? So that the world might know that God the Father sent God the Son. And to know that not just Jesus loves us, but the Father loves us. I don't know where the church got the idea, probably from the world, got the idea that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. And the God of the Old Testament just couldn't wait for you to screw up so that he could squash you like a bug. But Jesus came along, and he, just, he was just so melba melptos, and he just loved everybody, it just didn't matter. And he was the original flower child, and everything's cool. And he just loves us, and it doesn't matter what you do or what you did, because he just loves you. You know, can't we all just get along? Where the scriptures tell us that for God the Father so loved us that he sent Jesus. It's over and over and over that the Father loves you. Now, it might be because we all, not we all, many of, of, of you have had terrible fathers. And so you get your idea of what God is by your father. So if your father was always away at work, then God's always away. If, if your father was abusive and beat you with the belt, then God's waiting just to whip you. And, you know, if uh, you as a child could twist your father around and your little finger because anything you ask, you know, well, you're a baby girl and it's okay. And so you got it. Then God is, God can be manipulated. And that's too bad that our fathers aren't more like God the Father. But whether you had a good father or a bad father or somewhere in between, God is in him. And God the Father loves you. And notice, you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. People have this idea that, that God created all of us because he just needed somebody to love. And that we have free will because he wanted us to to love him in response and you know, whatever. And so God set all this up just because he needed love. Scriptures make it very clear that there was sufficient love between God the Father and God the Son. He didn't need us. But God is love. He doesn't demonstrate love. He doesn't show love. God is
so even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundations of the world. That's it. Father, I want you to have them understand the glory that I had, that you've given me, is permanent. And the love we have for each other is permanent. And that love that you have for me is also on them. Permanent. It's not what you do, it's who he is. And that love didn't show up after he said, let there be light. That love was there even before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father. Here is God, the Son, talking to God, the Father. And he makes clear that God himself is righteous. Oh, righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. Jesus' prayer is in response to when he tells them plainly that he's come from the Father and he's going to the Father, and they said they believe, and Jesus is saying because of that confession, it's happened. And I have made known your name, I'm sorry, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known So that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. I want you to notice something. Jesus has made known the name of God. Kind of a strange statement, but yet, let's go back a little bit. When God sent Moses to Pharaoh that he might free his people, he said, well, they're going to ask me your name. What shall I tell them? And God says, tell them I am sent you. And Jesus throughout his ministry said, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection. I am, I am, I am. He has constantly taken that I am name and said, I have made known your name to them. And the lesson hasn't stopped. I am continue to make known your name. Which is interesting. And a lot of people have written books and articles, and I encourage you, about the various names of God. El Shaddai. the various aspects that he's a provider, that he's a father, that he is a protector, that he is all these things. And Jesus is saying, I'm revealing to your people who you are, the names that you are known by. 
And one of those names is Jesus. You see, our God and Father can't be seen. All that we can understand about who God is is found in the frame of a man-God called Jesus, Yeshua, the Christ. And Jesus is saying, I know you're an invisible God, and, and mankind is, has really difficult ideas with that. So I'm here that they may see who you're like, that you love, and love isn't what I get out of it, but love is what are your needs, and I provide for. So he's made known his name so that the love with which you love me may be in them. When we understand who God is, then we're no longer insecure about his love for us because we know who he is. And not only that, but that the love that you have for me may be in them, but also I in them. So you have a double dose of love. You have the love of the Father and love of the Son who dwells in us, and the prayer is that we dwell in him so that when we are called Christians, it's not because of our religion or it's not because of our denomination. It's because they no longer see Joe. They see Jesus. When they no longer see Joe and see Jesus, then it won't be so hard for me to convince them that Jesus came from the Father. But until they say all too much of Joe, cool. That may be your truth, but you even have difficulty dealing with it. So here again, I just saved you the price of a book. You're wondering, well, what is God's purpose for me? Be one. As he is one. But that's hard. Yeah. But would you rather, in a financial, I'm going to use this, would you rather spend your time picking up pennies or $1,000 bills. So would you rather spend your time becoming the most successful person on this planet only to see it washed away for eternity? Or would you rather be one with God? Seems to me that there is no decision here. But we spend so much of our time on the temporary when Jesus has prayed for you and me for the eternal. So that when we all get to heaven 
We're not there because we think we made it by the skin of our teeth. But we know we've been there because of the love of the Father. It's not about me, it's about him. And my worship of him here and there is because of who he is, not because of what I've done. So we're going to sing in a moment. The band is going to lead us in an old hymn, kind of a chorus. We are one in the bond of love. But we are one not because of love. We are one because of him. And that binding of love is there because of who he is and what he's done. And all God's people said, Amen.